Money and building wealth are such taboo topics, and they have been for decades and centuries. We've come a long way over the last decade or so, especially for us women. However, we as women still feel somewhat uncomfortable speaking openly about money and wealth. My mission is to bring forth a new conversation, a different conversation, all about money, business, and creating wealth for the compassionate, convicted, and connected woman. This podcast was created so that you have the space and the place to begin to unravel everything you believe to be true or not true about building legacy wealth through investments and business. Welcome to Keep the Change podcast, changing the world one spare coin at a time with Coco D. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Keep the Change Keep the Change podcast. We are so excited to have you back here. I have a special guest today. Typically, the podcast is just me, um, but lately I've been having a few guests sprinkled here and there. And in my opinion, the guests that I have been bringing on for you lately are just a little bit swanky, if I do say so myself. I do pick my guests very, very, uh, what's the word? I cherry pick them, right? I don't just bring on anybody because your time is very precious. I know that. Today, I have a fellow... Balinese, Aussie, living here. I don't even know what the hell I'm saying, but you know, a fellow Aussie living here in Bali. She's in the cool side of Changu and I'm in the not so cool side of Sanur, as you know. Her name is Phoebe Kuhn. Welcome. Thank Hello. Um, she, she, yeah, she lives in Bali. She's been here three and a half years. Do you call yourself a digital nomad? In, in Bali, it's such a thing, you know. I, are you a digital nomad? Is at, when are people introduce themselves to me? That's the first thing I get. Is really, yeah. I I consider myself more of a global citizen. Okay, look, because it's a little bit more grown up. Yeah, so grown up. Yeah, it might be a Sonua thing with all the retirees. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe Chengu. As I said, it's the cool side here, so I don't really know what happens. But uh, Phoebe and I connected on Instagram, as most of us all do, and. Uh, she, I invited her along to have a chat. She's got an amazing story. As you guys know, wealth creation through your intuition is my huge, huge focus and also focusing on how you can create wealth in a way that is right for you. And Phoebe has an amazing story that we're going to dive into it today. This is going to be a few parts to the podcast. So uh, buckle in for the next couple of weeks, you'll hear her story. So let's begin. Hello, darling. <laughs> tell me, tell uh, tell us wherever you want to start about your story, about your life in Bali. You can start from the end and work backwards, start from the beginning, whatever. And you just tell us. Okay. Uh, all right. So provide context. Yes. Yeah. Context, context is always helpful. So yeah, as you mentioned, I am Australian. I'm originally from Melbourne. Uh, both of my parents were immigrants. So my What's dad, different? well, my dad is German. He was from Germany. Yep. He migrated in his late thirties. Uh, my mom is Chinese. She migrated in her early thirties. So both completely off the boat. Uh, <laughs> oh God, I love that. Yeah. was raised primarily by my mom. Uh, so very Asian cultural yep. influence. Um, and the area that we grew up in was predominantly a lot of Southeast Asian migrants. Yeah. So it was a, it was a very low socioeconomic area, a very low Caucasian population, uh, mainly refugees, migrants, you know, and, um, and then some more like Middle Eastern and kind of Eastern European sort of settle, settlement. Uh, so that was like the environment that I grew up in. And then even in school, 
I went to schools that were predominantly migrant as well. So culturally, um, even though I'm Australian, I would say that there's been a very strong influence of of certain cultures that have been created a bit of a melting pot. Hence the global citizen. A totally a different story. It's <laughs> all about another time. We might be here for a few, fair few more. <laughs> Tax freedom sovereignty. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple citizenship. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, there was a real poverty mindset because mum grew up during the Chinese Revolution when Mao was in power. And I'm talking like mum's lineage of family was like, you know, there wasn't even a bathroom. Like, so in one house, there were three families. Like, this is big. Listen. (laughs) Three families shared one house and there was one bathroom shared between the three families. So growing up, mum was like, the, the, the level of poverty was that her, her birthday present every year was a boiled egg. So we're talking like food rations, like, you know, rice and like absolute basics, like egg eggs were a luxury, you know, like you forget steak, you know, eating steak every day, absolute luxury. Um, education during that time was not only a privilege, but it was, you know, completely stripped for most people and for women because of the political agenda. So mum did not have like the rights that, you know, we get afforded today, right? So even just basic education was, so this was a very intelligent woman that did not even have the opportunity to really become something because she grew up in the political climate that she did during, you know, in a country that was absolutely stripped of anything. So had she grown up in a different environment with, with more privilege, probably could have done so much more. And so that kind of tells you like the imprint that I had because of what she lacked. Right. So, you know, there's this saying that, um, yeah, they're saying that basically like voids create values. I was just going to say, yeah, yeah. I'm all for that. I talk about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a strong value for education, a strong value for, you know, being pretty scrappy, uh, but also being quite conservative because, you know, there's not much. So whatever you have, you've got to hold on to it, right? Like don't ever throw anything out. Mum's a hoarder. You know, she's got, you cannot throw things out. You, go, you might need it later, you know? Yeah. So... Yeah, she was a factory worker. She used to sew gym shorts. She was the breadwinner for the entire family. She was the most capable one. So she was, it was like the pursuit of happiness kind of story. Like she was, you know, not going to the bathroom. Literally had the same story as like Chris Gardner. She'd like tell me how she didn't go to the bathroom because she was making money per pair of shorts that she was sewing. Seven cents per short. So, you know, obviously to make more money, don't go to the bathroom, don't take breaks. We can sew as many pairs of shorts as we can. And so that's that's what she grew up with in her generation in the um, 50s, 60s, 70s. Right? So then, yeah, so she came to Australia in the 80s, mm-hmm. late 80s, uh, which was a great time, massive boom. And, uh, and she was able to kind of break through into that middle class echelon. Um, so she ends up becoming high five mom. High five. Yeah she, yeah, she did really well. She went from like factory worker, seven cents per pair of shorts into... I have a house, I have a car, I work at a boutique on Chapel Street in Melbourne. Um, she was like a senior pattern maker and designer. Wow. She she broke into the middle echelon. Yeah. Yeah. So so there was there was a really nice sense of the Australian dream there. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when I grew up, I wanted more for myself. So she was like, you know, be what you can, but with a huge level of conservatism. Like keep your head down, don't make a fuss like just work really hard 
And like, at best, we can kind of hope that maybe you can be an academic and you can, you know, be a lawyer, like, or you can kind of have some kind of safe government job, something, something safe, right? Yeah, like, let, yeah. let the system take care of you. For sure. Um, but, you know, with, with Asian culture, there's generally kind of like five fields that are pretty respected. And so she's kind of, you know, ideally you're one of these five. Yeah. But they're all medical things. And growing up, she was like, I just don't see you working in medicine. <laughs> like, but you're, you're very chatty. So maybe you could be a lawyer and like, you know, we can, we can work with that kind of thing. So she groomed me to be a lawyer my whole life. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I got to the point during school where I was like, I, I, I can't do this. And like, I studied, I did all of the prep work. Like I was on the high school debate team, state debate team, study philosophy, logic, like all of the stuff that you're supposed to do to prepare for law school, um, speaking competitions. And then I was just like, I'm going to be an artist. And she was like, oh my God, like <laughs> the worst is happening. The art attack. Yeah. So, um, everything that has, I think created a lot of motivation over my entrepreneurial journey has come from me wanting to prove to her that I could make it as a creative and she was a creative my mom was a fashion designer she she believed that about herself yeah yeah but she didn't have the opportunities and she she grew up in the right environment and so you know, it was always dangerous it was not safe you know it was not stable um and I I never saw myself getting a job I couldn't hold down a job for my life you know if any previous employers are listening i i'm sorry <laughs> i was the best worker you ever had for a very short period of time until i lost it <laughs> i do have previous employers that listen sometimes <laughs> okay so yeah i was like okay i want to be a filmmaker i want to be a journalist photographer writer all of the good storytelling creative stuff so did you start your business at a like a straight out of school I, I, I dabbled in things. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the first job that I got out of school was a sales job where I was doing door to door. Yeah. Electricity. Wow. Yeah. Good on you. Real scrappy. Didn't work out very well, but I did learn a lot. Yeah, you would. Yeah. <laughs> Man, door to door is it's brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. So I went to film school. I did go. And I then started working as a photographer um, while I was at uni and I was doing the dirtiest of gigs, like nightclub photography and, um, yeah, horrible, horrible work. Did you enjoy it? Well, you have, you have drinks spilled on you until five in the morning and you're like running from nightclub to nightclub and guys are being horrible and yeah, okay. trying to get a selfie with you and you've got a quota to meet, right? Yeah, okay. Like, you're not just like having a good time. Like you have to get a certain number of shots of very booby, skinny, blonde women so that the nightclubs, you know, criteria. yeah, yeah. I had a brief every week, you know, I've got to get you got to get the good-looking women. And if you're at a club where it's not that busy and there aren't that many good-looking women, <laughs> you have to... Yeah, there's, there's, you've got to really be scrappy with, yeah. with the brief, you know? So, yeah, it was that was a challenging time. Um, so, yeah, the first business was a photography business. Okay. And I did that on and off for like five years and then yeah. eventually got out of nightclubs and into events and um, then eventually got into the holy land of weddings. Did many weddings. Uh yeah, and then and then and then came kind of marketing and like trialing SEO, copywriting, and really boring copy jobs, uh, different anything freelance. Yeah, but it was always on the side. I always had a job, and then I was always doing this like side freelance thing. Mm -hmm. So there was always this kind of like I will do as much as I can to create more, 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 more. yeah, and more still money, more money, just to be more clear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always wanted to travel, so it was always like, how can I create money to travel because the nine to five is not going to be enough. Yeah. So still stuck, lived at home? Uh, I moved out when I was 22, I think. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So that's why there was, there was a need for more. Yeah. And 
I, I, I left full-time work in 2018. So I worked in advertising. Um, so eventually the jobs that I had nine to five got better and like they eventually built some form of career that made logical sense um, from just random stuff to all of a sudden like, okay, I have this career in advertising now. And then I was like, okay, but I, I just couldn't handle like the- Being told. Yeah. 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 But the rules. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, you know, asking to go to the bathroom, asking to, you know, to, to leave for leave or you're not feeling well that day. Do I, oh, fuck, I've got to go in and I can't take a sickie and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like it, it depends on the environment. Like, so when I worked in startup environments, there was more leeway and flexibility, yeah. whereas in more of a corporate or more of a agency environment, it's because the thing with agency is that you're being pimped. So like, you know, the agency is billing your billable hours and for anyone that is a lawyer that it is. So I basically ended up doing the same thing anyway, billable hours. Yeah. Right. So it's like, if you're not working, then you're not a profitable asset to the agency. So even though the work's getting done, you're not getting paid based on the project, you're getting paid based on hours, which for me is like the opposite of my ethos. You know, like if the work's done, the work's done. Like I'm faster than everybody else. <laughs> Let me be rewarded for being efficient. You know, so I wasn't being rewarded. Yeah. But, you know, with my team now, I'm like, I don't care where you work. I don't care when you work. I'm the same. If it gets done. Don't tell me when you start, when you, I don't care. I don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I'm the same. Bonus. Yeah. I will give you more if you get it done faster. (laughs) Exactly. Absolutely. I send people bonuses all the time being fast and efficient. So I'm like, hey, what's that thing? You've created value there. Here's a random bonus. They're like, oh, it's all like working with you. I'm like, yeah, bonuses for everybody. (laughs) So... Yeah. So eventually, so this was uh, July, August, 2018. I was like, okay. And I just walked out. Like the day I heard this voice, intuition, higher self, it said, we've, we've got to go. There was no plan. I didn't have any savings. It was, there was no logical, there was nothing logical about it. It was very unsensible. So what, 26? Yep. Yeah. 26. And yeah, just wrote up my resignation letter that day, handed it in that day. Cause I was on this experiment of like, well, I better trust the voice, you know, and um, let's see what happens if I trust the voice. Which, you know, because we talk about building wealth on intuition here, I just want to call out to the audience to be able to trust your intuition at the age of 26. You know, a, a lot of my audience are also in their forties, fifties, like they're probably all listening right now being like, fuck you. I wish I had done that at 26. Right. And it's not a regret. It's just a a lot of them realized that had they listened to their intuition earlier, life may be different. And so like, again, high five to you, right? That's amazing. It's, it's tough. Most oh, of the conversations tough. I have on a daily basis are trust conversations. Yeah. Like basically I don't ever get sales objections ever. I only get people who are like, I'm really struggling to trust myself right now. And I would really love your help yeah to help me trust in yeah. my decision making yeah that's all i do with people yes yeah. is and it's so funny because i have a bit of a sales team now that help sometimes with the conversations and uh they're like yeah people really don't trust themselves do they and i'm like yeah it's it's a thing discernment self-trust the ability to listen to the voice being able to discern the difference between a fear response that is grounded in genuine like you this is not wise and sensible versus um, it's stretchy and uncomfortable. And also I know that it's correct. How do you discern that? People don't know. It's hard. It's so yeah. me all the time. What does it feel like? I'm yeah. Like, I know that what it feels like for me is going to be different to you. Like, let's talk about it. Maybe yeah. it feels like X, Y, Z. Right. You know, you, you get, you get it. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what's, it's just like, what's the voice saying? Is it saying go? Is it saying yes? Because if you're afraid that the voice is saying yes, it's a yes. 
right? So that's what was happening. So I was getting a yes and I was terrified, but I leaped. And it wasn't like this amazing story of, and then everything worked out. It did not work out <laughs> at all for <laughs> those first. And so were you like last year intuition? Or at no point you ever thought that? Yeah, no, I completely was like, I did everything you said and it hasn't worked out and now I'm in the shit and I don't know how to get out of the shit. So the first 15 months of the business journey was pretty horrific. Um, What business had you started? So the life coaching, transformational coaching. Yeah. And I think in the first year I made something like, I've got, I've got like the numbers at home. It wasn't glamorous. It was maybe like 33 grand or something like that. Yeah. Um, You know. There was no like, and then I did six figures in six yeah. months. I saw those people and I was like, I don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing all the things. Yeah. yeah. I just, I didn't know because I, I hired a lot of the wrong people, which again happens to almost everybody in the beginning because yeah. how do you know? Um, so I was then in debt and had credit card debt from hiring all these people and then the investments, quotation marks, not really panning out. So then there was a whole process of having to learn how to trust myself again and eventually getting back to the point where I was back at kind of ground zero and neutral. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And that was when I moved to Bali. So I moved here when I was neutral, I had $700, but just the change of the environment to then be around. So I had to move back in with my mom when I had all the credit card debt. And then when I moved back in with her, I really saw how all of her beliefs and that like migrant mentality was seeping in. And I was like, this is really bad, actually. Like this is quite you know, this is actually sending me further back. So even though maybe I'm saving some money on and, rent. You know, you're safe and secure. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really actually progressing. I'm going backwards. And uh, I had a conversation with someone, actually now one of my exes, who said that whenever he went back to Perth, he does not stay with his parents for this exact reason. He was like, nah, because of the, the mindset thing. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. So then I started reading all these articles on environment. And realizing that the environment, you know, the, the five people, the environment, da, 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 but that you're absorbing all of these beliefs. And so I was like, holy shit. You know, when I started my coaching journey, I was surrounding myself with people who were struggling and reinforcing the belief of business is hard, money's hard, I'm broke, I'm struggling, and we can't figure this business thing out. And so my reality was just like, I'm in the identity of someone who is struggling and, and trying to figure it out. So I kept perpetuating that. And so the moment that I moved to Bali, I was very particular around who I was spending time with. And I mean, I had some friends here that I'd met from practitioner trainings and certifications that were doing reasonably well. I had, I had one friend that was doing okay. One friend that was like, yeah, six-figure life coach, solid guy. Another friend that was like a multi-six-figure, almost seven-figure kind of also life coach. And they're all pretty spiritual people. And I just hung out with them. And then I was like, oh, these guys aren't having a hard time at all. I was like, shit, you know, okay. And honestly, it's possible. Yeah, but not a, it, this normal. Yeah, this yeah. normal. And so very quickly, I was just mimicking biosmosis, everything that yeah. they were thinking and believing and doing and valuing. And I was seeing the way that they were seeing things. And then I was just like, no, nah, this is it. And I made the decision. And, you know, the, you know, there's more, but for time's sake, yeah. for time's sake, essentially the, the environment and the environment by itself was a massive influence to then shifting into the identity of I, I, I'm, it's not hard to make 10 grand a month and I can live here. And I don't have to go back. And at the same time, I discovered human design and I'd started learning, you know, the foundational code of human behavior. So proper mindset stuff. 
that was actually allowing me to be like, ah, here's the pattern of behavior that I'm in. And here's how this is, this behavior is getting in the way of the thing that I ultimately want. Here's the incongruence and here's the payoff and the motivation for behaving in this way. If I want to choose a different outcome, that I need to choose a different behavior. I need to adjust my motivation accordingly. And so then I started getting more of what I wanted by understanding behavior yeah. more so. So that's when things really started turning around. So this is now October to December of 2019. And I was like, okay, I had been here six months. I had been here for three months, yeah, two, three months. So then I was like, all right, this is great. And I was still trading time for money. I was still doing one-on-one sessions. Yeah. Even some done-for-you work. I was still doing done-for-you copywriting and miscellaneous marketing work for other coaches that had bigger businesses. Yeah. But it was getting you by. You were kind of rebuilding. You only came with $700. Exactly. So for the first time, I had money left over. I was like, oh, my God. I had surplus for the first time ever. It was not much. It was like three grand Australian, but I had surplus. And I was like, wow. Why, what can I do with this? I could travel again. Oh, and I was like, hold on. Before we go back to zero, yeah. you know, there's something that wants to happen here. There's, there's a pivot. There's a shift that gets to take place. And I knew that what I really wanted was I, I wanted total sovereignty. Yeah. Total autonomy over my ability to go, I, I can do anything. If I want, I can make a film tomorrow and I can fund it myself because I have millions of dollars in the bank. That is a great way to end the first episode because I just feel like it's a cliffhanger yeah. <laughs> and I want to know more, right? So guys, what will she do next? <laughs> I know. I'm literally like, all I'm seeing right now in my mind is you like one hand on a cliff mm-hmm. and like, where's she going to go now? <laughs> she going to jump up or she going to, you know, jump out? Um, guys, as you know, one podcast a week, please, please hang tight for next week. Phoebe is going to keep telling us the story. Of, I'm so excited. I, I get to hear it now, but you, you're going to have to wait till next week. So thank you for tuning in and um, we'll, we'll chat next week with Phoebe. Ciao. Bye, Phoebe. See ya. <laughs> thank you so very much for listening to this episode and for coming along for the ride that is wealth building. It's a wild one. Now, for all the information we spoke about, please refer to the show notes. Remember to leave a review if you feel called to. And if you want to soak up more and lick my brain about business and legacy wealth, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Come and join me on Instagram and Facebook. You can find me under Coco D-D-E-E. See you soon.